This is London Calling. Hello, hello, and welcome again to another global podcast that is Thought and Leaders. As you know, I scour this magnificent, resplendent, awe-inspiring, splendiferous, scintillating planet of ours for the most inspiring, cogitative, profound, and erudite speakers, thinkers, leaders out there. And this week, you are in for an exceptional treat because we have the CEO of Ipsos Mori, Ben Page. Hello, Ben. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. That's right, it is global, so yeah, right. I'll Who be knows? right somewhere. Now, Ben, we've had you on before in 2020, and it's a great privilege for us to have you on again for 2021. You believed at the beginning of 2020 that it would all be about Trump, Thunberg and Brexit. Oh, well. (laughs) Humanity is endlessly, apparently blindsided. We were blindsided by the great financial crash in 2008, even though the signs were there if you looked. Mm. And we were obviously blindsided by coronavirus as a global society, even though Bill Gates did his TED talk Mm. with millions of views just a few years ago. And indeed, even though most governments had actually looked at the risks of a pandemic virus, they hadn't clearly planned for it. They'd looked at it, but they hadn't done enough. But when it comes to COVID, according to your research, 15% say government measures were too strict, but most would still take the vaccine. You've got about 15% who won't take the vaccine. So you've got 15% who say government measures are too strict. You've got about 7% who think it's all a scam and a fake, that pandemic, as they like to call it, and that it's somehow connected to 5G and or is entirely made up. Um, and about there's about in Britain, but it varies dramatically around the world, around 15% of people don't want to take the vaccine either. So all of those numbers are actually reasonably consistent. I think what is clear is that in many countries, people believe their governments reacted too late, even though they actually tend to support government measures and lockdowns. So in Britain, you know, 70% of people say they support the quite tough lockdown that we're currently in as I talk to you today, even though they also think the government should have introduced it earlier. Looking at that review of 2020, 54% agreed that Britain was a racist country. After the murder of George Floyd in America uh, in the earlier part of 2020, we saw the highest ever spontaneous concern about race relations in Britain. And so it turns out that the majority of black people in Britain think the country is racist. Among white people, it's 30 percent. But there is also a big generational difference with older white people much less likely to think it is and younger people of all backgrounds are much more likely to be sensitive to that. So there's a generational shift going on. People's awareness and sensitivity to that issue is rising. A third of kids in, at school in Britain today are actually black, Asian or minority ethnic. So ultimately, that's where our population is going to be. Would you say that when there's a headline such as Black Lives Matter, and the media is pushing it forward, that kind of starts changing 
opinions in terms of trends? The media cannot make us think that black is white, but what they can do is agitate a scratch. They can rub a scab that you might have. They can remind you about things that you're worried about, which is certainly true of immigration in Britain in the past. And in this case, it's reminded people of inequality. Things that were perhaps less affecting us before COVID-19, it's made us all reflect. You know, Even the murder of George Floyd, progressive white people have now had that rubbed in their faces. 68% of businesses started to say that they're going to do more in terms of inclusion. Is this PR? It's only by senior management looking at these things. It's certainly more effective than unconscious bias training, I can tell you. Um, and by, by calling it out, do you actually manage to make progress? There's huge amounts of wasted talent that doesn't get the right jobs or the, the opportunities that they should do, wasted intelligence, because we tend to just appoint people who look like us. So I think the fact that business is talking about it is positive. The actual progress and change follows on behind rather more slowly. But nevertheless, the bigger the gap between what you say and what you do, both in business and your personal life, the more likely you are to get called out. Kids are different today. Six out of ten women, according to your research, say that it has been difficult to stay positive every day during COVID. You particularly pointed out in your presentation that men tend to have it easier. Consistently, you know, about 20% more women than men say that they're finding it hard to stay positive. Then, you know, working mothers with children at home are particularly likely to say that they found lockdown difficult. So it may well be that men are terribly suffering, but all I'm measuring is what people say. And certainly many more women than men say that they're finding it difficult and that their mental health is suffering during lockdown. Women do more cleaning and more looking after kids than men. End of period. There is no argument to be had about that. The man might feel terribly stressed, but I can tell you that the woman will be doing more work at home uh, if they're at all normal. That's what's happening. You know, to me, it's not surprising. Now, universally, according to mine, more than six million received antidepressants in the three months to September. I take what you're saying, but it is affecting everybody. Men have huge problems with things like suicide. For men under 45, I think they're more likely to kill themselves than anything else happened to them. So it's difficult being human, frankly. But um, overall, in terms of who carries the domestic load, it does tend to be women. Mm -hmm. Now, three quarters of people don't want to go back to the days before the pandemic. Of course, a lot of this has got to do with the idea of nostalgia. Everyone believes that things were always better in the past, don't they, Ben? Economic growth for a large part of the population seems to have gone awry. And that means that people then attempted to think about a better time in the past when they were young, particularly when there weren't so many uppity other people, people, all this woke stuff. If you're old in particular, everything seems a bit woke. And so the past starts to become a very attractive place, even though we don't think people really want to go back to the past. But certainly when the present is threatening, it's also why conspiracy theories are so popular during lockdown. Somebody must be to blame. Life can't 
can't just be this random and unfair. There must be a secret evil plan somewhere. But fundamentally underneath it all is human insecurity, anxiety about the future. Somebody must be to blame somewhere. Brexit. This leads to the issue of the split up of the UK with six out of 10 Scots saying that they would vote to leave the UK. This is back in October. And there's a 19% approval of Johnson. 74% of people were happy with Sturgeon. The majority of people in Scotland have swung in favour of independence. And some of the drivers of that are a conservative prime minister who, as you've just said, they really don't like. And it's very interesting to see that Sturgeon's performance on handling the virus is deemed to be so much better than Boris Johnson's, despite the actual death rates in both countries being quite similar. But of course, perhaps her communications have been clearer and more consistent. And so, yes, they don't like Brexit. They don't like Boris Johnson. 45% of them had already actually voted in a 2014 referendum to leave. You can see how all of the arguments that were made in favour of Brexit around taking back control and sovereignty are now ironically being made by Scots about leaving the United Kingdom. It is very unclear how this will play out. But what is clear in 2021, as we look ahead, is that the SNP is going to wipe everybody else out pretty much in the elections for the Scottish Parliament in the spring. The polling looks very, very likely that that's what will happen. And that will mean that you will have a huge majority in Scotland supporting an independence party. According to your research, 41% still see Europe as more important than the Commonwealth for trade deals. In terms of the volume of trade, they aren't completely wrong. When it comes to the NHS, people have greater pride in it, ahead of the royals, ahead of the BBC. Wow. The public were worried about the NHS in the early part of the year, but later on, they've become much more confident. It is close to being overwhelmed now. But the service itself won't be blamed if that's the case. Other other people will end up being blamed. Just to lighten it just a bit, 66% then of people would be happier if... I'm sorry, I'm going to laugh. If Prince Harry married a man... Two out of three people would say they would be completely relaxed if Prince Harry had married a man rather than Meghan Markle. Yeah, it would have made a bit of a difference to their podcast. (laughs) We're so excited. (laughs) Moving on, um, 33% of Great Britain says healthcare will get worse, and that's joint with France. Wow. By international standards, we have relatively high satisfaction with the performance of the health service, much higher than, say, in America or somewhere like Russia. But at the same time, when when we ask people about their feelings for the future of the NHS and the health service, we're among the most pessimistic. We're very worried about something going wrong with it, about it being overwhelmed, about it not having enough resources. Government has, for the last couple of years, been announcing more and more resources, more nurses, more doctors. We do have fewer beds than many other European countries per capita. And that's been part of a quite deliberate strategy. We'll see how that works. At the moment, we're desperately creating more beds, of course, to deal with the pandemic. Seven out of 10 people in Britain say the NHS is so important to British society, we must maintain it at whatever cost. China, they're very confident in their healthcare system, as are Peru. I'm not sure that the British, if they went to China, would find the Chinese healthcare system brilliant. But if we talk about Boris Johnson being boosterish for Britain, well, I can tell you that the Chinese are boosterish for China. 
And although many of us in the West wouldn't want to live under the restrictions that they use to control the virus when it started in Wuhan, for example, the Chinese regard their system, authoritarian state surveillance capitalism, uh, they regard that as a pretty successful system, thank you very much, for a society where many people can remember famines in living memory to have you know, an incredible increase in living standards and prosperity, even if civil liberties aren't what they are here, that's good. And in fact, they might argue that that's rather better mm. than you know, uh, how Western societies work, given the number of deaths, etc. Talking about capitalism, people want to buy brands that affect personal values, 72%. That kind of trend about buying authentic brands has been quite consistent, hasn't it? We did a study at the end of last year that we've now updated to see what's changed during the pandemic. One of the things that did change was that the proportion wanting business leaders to speak out on social issues, wanting to buy brands that reflect their own values, all of that has demonstrably increased during 2020. And it's another facet of the same phenomena that we saw with the prominence of Black Lives Matter in North America and in Europe which is this sort of heightened attention to inequalities in our societies, wanting business to do its bit. Yes, purpose was already there, but if anything, it seems to have been heightened. And yes, there's always a say-do gap between what we say as consumers that we value and what we actually do. You know, We also want to make sustainable investments with our pensions when actually 95% of us want the best possible return when we yeah. look at our behaviours. But nevertheless, it's interesting to see attention at least focused on purpose in business. When I used to work in PR and crisis management, one of the pieces of advice that my colleagues used to give to bosses of brands was don't talk about anything to do with politics. Stay out of it. You're a brand. You know. But now, according to your research, 68% want to speak out on social and political issues. Wow, what a change. Our reputation council, which is formed of hundreds of senior public affairs people across businesses all over the world, is slightly more sanguine. The collective view is, yes, we'll do it, but only do it if you're prepared to live with the consequences and you aren't going to say one thing and do something else, in which case you will find yourselves in private eye. So it was interesting with the Black family featuring in Sainsbury's TV advertising and all the basically racist people saying they're not going to Sainsbury's anymore. You just need to be sensible about how you do it. If it's then discovered that Sainsbury's is, I don't know, paying its black staff one third less than its white staff or something like that, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, clear, there'd be massive problems. But generally going with the flow and reflecting where your customers are, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're not going to be exposed as a hypocrite. For years, Ben, I've been quoting your research about where people put their trust and where they least put their trust. Journalists and advertising have always been kind of bottom of the list. It's true. When you ask people which professions they most trust, the only people below politicians are advertising executives. Politicians' ratings, which are low, haven't really changed since 1983 when we first started measuring this. And overall, Trust in many professions, scientists, even civil servants, has all risen quite markedly over the last few decades. So it's true that top of the tree are nurses and doctors, and that was true long before the pandemic. Uh, and scientists. Those are those are trusted professions. So there is something about dispassionate professionals. And the fact that advertising executives are at the bottom of the pile, I don't think really should give advertising executives great cause to worry. Don't worry, they're not going to have any sleepless nights. 
No, well, some are. There are people saying that we need to stop lying to consumers and we need to, you know, make sure that we're more honest, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if you're in the business of persuasion and putting the best gloss on things, probably you are going to be a little bit not particularly trusted. And anyway, one of the things that's very clear about consumers that we can prove absolutely with our research is that whatever people say about advertising, whether they pay any attention to it or not, it works. And the other thing that is definitely working is delivery driving, with 75% of people trusting delivery drivers to tell the truth. Well above the figure for the police. More people say they trust delivery drivers to tell the truth than police. The police? Most people trust the police. So, you know, there you go. Despite all of the challenges of missed parcels and little <laughs> okay. slips saying that they called and when you think they didn't, uh, you know, most people trust them. I thought that was interesting. And they are people who during 2020 have, you know, for many of us, kept the show on the road. Yeah. When it comes to shows, one of the big brands of 2020, of course, was Netflix. Daily viewing up. People are streaming more. They can't go out, so they're going to watch more TV and more more streaming shows. So that's certainly a trend. Also, in terms of content, we saw a massive surge in take-up of news, which was great for news organizations and the newspapers and news websites, but also, interestingly, comedy. It's almost as though people read all the news and then thought, oh, my God, I want to go and watch some comedy to take my mind off the news. Yeah. But no, they, and those. I think what's interesting with both that and e-commerce and e-banking there will be lots of people who've been introduced to new services during 2020, and those habits will be likely to stick. Is there a collapse of trust in the media? People do differentiate between, say, the Financial Times and what somebody mouthing off on um, Facebook, and they are able to differentiate. And it doesn't mean to say that they don't pay attention to things like Facebook. We know that people who rely on Facebook and YouTube for their information are two to three to four times more likely to believe conspiracy theories. But bottom line, trust in news media hasn't collapsed in 2020 and has often stayed very high. Working from home, more of us than ever are wearing these loungewear sorts of things and stuff like that. Ah, yes, lots of people not showering, not brushing their teeth, just lounging around, even in their pyjamas. It only takes people to start working at home one day a week, which was becoming more and more common even before the pandemic. Yeah. And people like Unilever were actually reporting they were selling less deodorant because if just you use it 20% less, if you only go into the office four days rather than five, it turns out. Okay. There's been a bit more of that. And people have got used to seeing their bosses wearing T-shirts and not wearing suits and ties. So right. if you're selling suits and ties, it's not been good. It may be that we're going to have a massive rebound when we're finally let out, probably in 2022. Yeah. And everybody will want to dress up to the nines and there'll be a sort of, for the people who've kept their jobs, a sort of great Gatsby moment where we all want to flash the cash and look spick and span. But in general, the only things that people are buying is loungewear and sort of, you know, you know, sweatshirts and that type of thing. 
And I think the fact that we look into so many homes, see their children, kids, pot plants and other interior decoration, our relationships with our colleagues have become different. Of course. More informal as well. So it's loosened everything up. And I think, again, many of those trends were there before with, you know, suits were already in decline beforehand and certainly ties. This trend towards greater informality, which is a very long-term trend in society, yeah. again, has probably been accelerated by the pandemic. Sales of mascara has gone up, whereas lipstick's gone down. For obvious reasons, you can see the eyes, but you can't see the lips. <laughs> so that's... No, absolutely. I know that you found for the CBI that one in five offices are to go. Not all businesses are going to return back to office life as we knew it. About half of them say they want to move to some mixture of people at home half the week and at work the other half of the week. But in very practical terms, we've got tens of thousands of feet right. in London of empty office space that I'm paying millions of pounds a year for. Mm. We need offices for training, for inspiration, for, for meetings, for serendipity. We absolutely need offices and we, we are going to miss them the longer and longer this goes on for. Uh, I've already got loads of hundreds of people who work for me who I've never met and have no idea what the spirit yeah. of Ipsos is like really anymore because they're only doing it virtually. Yeah. And yet we don't need all of that space. If you think of five office buildings next door to each other, yeah. one of those uh, is likely to be repurposed at some point, but it just won't be needed in future. Do you think there's going to be a redesign of town centres? You will still have flagship retail in some places like Oxford Street. Experiential shopping isn't going to go away. You want to go to an amazing environment, see really interesting products and touch them. And that isn't going to go away. But bog standard shopping with poor selections, things that aren't very interesting, why would you bother buying those in physical retail? So mm. We lost 186,000 jobs in retail in Britain this year. The estimate is another 200,000 will go. Lots of empty spaces in high streets. Lots of uh, pension funds who own those uh, shops ultimately in the high street and those with those high property values in city centres wondering about the returns. It's not at all simple, but overall we have too much retail space basically. And it's going to have to be repurposed. I think what's interesting is that although footfall is 60% down in central London, it's fallen much less even in lockdowns in the sort of village, in village London, as an example, and in, and in suburbs around Britain. And so local high street may turn out to be more viable. And they may also be allow more businesses to try themselves out. You know, it may become cheaper. And so there may be some creative destruction, certainly. But yes, more mixed town centres, more people living in town centres potentially, eventually when prices change and more repurposed office and retail space. But how it plays out isn't clear. I mean, if, if the vaccine is genuinely rolled out by May and we're all allowed out again, well, you know, it's, it's, we need to be careful about predicting the death of the office or indeed the death of the city, given that London has survived plague, war and famine. Uh, many, many of our big cities have survived much worse things than this. The big question then, looking ahead to 2022 and beyond, Panglosian or pessimistic? I think my worry at the moment is about a K-shaped recovery. <laughs> Go on then. A K-shaped recovery is where part of the economy bounces back. Yeah. So if you think of a K and then put it on its back. Got it. Some people and part of the economy bounce back. People who've kept their jobs... Jeff Bezos is extreme, but he's seen his wealth increase by 
during 2020. He wasn't poor to start with. No. And the reason for that is that the monetary policy, keeping money poured into the economy and buying assets is inflating asset prices and stocks and shares. So if you've got lots of those in America, for example, you'll do very well indeed. But the average Joe will see rising unemployment, increasing automation. And if if you want, if you force Bad businesses, but they were at least employing people, have gone to the wall. Weak business models that didn't pay people very well gone to the wall. You, you know, there are forecasts of employment unemployment doubling in many Western countries. Couple that with automation. Although we talk about key workers, business will be under business profits will be under pressure, and so you can see a, a situation where assets, asset owners, and people in well-paid jobs. That have managed to survive, um, they're in the they're in the V the V bit of the K, yeah. and a lot of other people are in the flatlining bit, or even worse. That inequality we saw after two thousand and eight, the fact that overall economic growth has tended to go towards people who own things rather than people who work for a living since the nineteen seventies, actually onwards, very different than the post war period. Mm. That is my real worry about the twenty twenties and whether governments really are going to make the investments and do the leveling down and the leveling up that is fundamentally needed to address the question about why do so many people think they've got nothing to lose by raiding Capitol Hill? They've just got nothing to lose by voting in populists. And that that is not at all clear what, what the outcome is going to be. So the K-shaped recovery, yeah. um, or just a generally very slow recovery with lots of misery, is the worry. The hope is that we have activist government investing in things that increase productivity and skills. Really hard to do. Britain hasn't got a great track record of doing that, and neither of a lot of Western countries. But that's the hope, that we invest in a green recovery, green energy, digital infrastructure and skills, and somehow we are able to change our direction of travel. One of the things about COVID was kindness. The brands were being kind. Businesses are spending a lot more time thinking about employee wellness, well-being, um, etc., because they have to. Uh, so I think we can see that. Whether, whether we are going to see you know, structural inequalities in society dealt with by activist government increasing benefits you know will you know will the government increase the keep the 20 pound increase in uh univer- in um universal credit i'm it doesn't no sign of that necessarily happening although the public say that they are in favor of it but there are there are perhaps some signs we'll see i think if you you know if it's still if we come out of it all and there's a bit of recession uh, everybody for themselves you, you know maybe some of those things go away but there is a willingness to 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 look for those things and as i say a lot of people are concerned that the government isn't going to do enough for them and they were concerned before the pandemic hit they were concerned about their children's futures and wanting government to act so let's see By 2032, China will overtake the USA as the world's largest economy. And so for the first time, it's not going to be a democratic country that's going to be the one with the biggest power of all. Interesting times ahead, don't you think? There's a whole set of questions it raises. The first is that this long-standing idea since the end of the Cold War in 1989, that Western liberal democracy was the ideal system and that gradually everywhere would adopt it is clearly for the birds. 
It's clear that if the KGB in Russia and the Stasi in East Germany had had the technology that is now available to President Z, yeah. uh, the course of human history might have been different. Mm. Look what is happening in Hong Kong. We are seeing a pseudo-democracy being wiped out there, frankly. Mm. But at the same time, as I said earlier, most Chinese people recognize that their system is giving them goods and Yes, in some ways, freedoms. I think there is a broader question about how China has dealt with the epidemic and which applies not just to its particular system of state surveillance and capitalism, uh, because it also applies to somewhere like Taiwan, which is a different sort of society, even if President Xi doesn't want it to be. Taiwan, yeah. 23 million people. Yeah. Do you know how many have died from the virus? Oh my God. Seven. No. Seven. Seven. D is that Seven. just like local propaganda or is that fact? That's a fact. One of the challenges for the West, which has been thrown into sharp release by the virus, mm. is our very strong individualism. And one of the things that Asian countries have is collectivism, not necessarily in terms of that they, they're all proper communists and they want to pool everything, but they believe in the collective good. And therefore, they are willing to be far more obedient and put up with far more restrictions and controls. If you compare and contrast what happens if you land in Heathrow, with what happens if you land in Seoul in South Korea in terms of what you will go through to check you out for the pandemic. You will see how places like Taiwan and South Korea have managed to control the pandemic, as indeed have the Chinese. Mm. And they've been willing to do that because of the value that they will place on the collective good, which in a way is a big difference from the individualistic West. And those differences are there. They will be there, whoever's in charge in China. China will be the biggest country on earth. It will be running a different system and the West will be trying to be muscular against China. We are on the cusp of a completely new world, especially with this idea about China. And then, of course, there's climate change and all these sorts of things we'll be dealing with. And people will be turning towards Ipsos Mori to give us the insights in terms of what people are thinking, what people are feeling. And those insights, I guess, will then create the new headlines around the world. We're here to help businesses and governments make better decisions, ultimately. So, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. People need information. And at times of uncertainty and change, they need good quality information more than ever. And although there are all sorts of sources of information, opinion polls and indeed just research and studying human beings generally. I mean, a lot of our work doesn't involve polling at all anymore. It involves an analyzing, you know, social media or just tracking people with their permission to see what they're doing. But understanding human behavior in very large and complex societies, I think, will always be important. However it happens, we're an important part of that ecosystem. Thanks very much, Ben. It's been absolutely a privilege uh, to speak to you. Pleasure. No, enjoyed it. And uh, if anybody wants any information, do get in touch, ben.page at ipsos.com. But there's loads of things on our website, free to air. Part of freedom of speech is also making data available to everybody who wants to use it. Fantastic. Have a great day, evening, weekend. <laughs> a great day, evening, weekend. Until this time next year, Ben, <laughs> good luck and take care. We'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thought and Leaders is a goodbye production. 
If you're looking for award-winning content for your brand or want to chat about the show, you can either email reinventatme.com, that's reinventatme.com, or why not visit us at www.thoughtandleaders.com, that's thoughtandleaders.com. Understand the best thing.